Hello, everybody. My name is Jonathan Sousa. I'm the Director of Membership Services here at People First Professionals. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the People First Podcast. Before we hop into this week's show, just two quick asks of you. First, if you haven't already, please subscribe to us on whatever app you listen to your podcast on. It ensures that you'll receive a new episode of the People First Podcast every Wednesday morning. Additionally, if you're listening to us on Apple, please go to the store and leave us a rating and review. It greatly helps us with exposure and reaching more ears. Thank you very much and enjoy this week's show. Welcome to the People First Podcast. Folks, thank you so much and welcome to another edition of the People First Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Williams, co-founder and president of People First Professionals. And, you know, we're, we're going to go a little bit off the beaten path in this like really foundational EQ and people first focus. But I think you're going to find this topic today is going to all come back uh, really grounded in emotional intelligence and people first. And so I'm excited for you all to to join us through that story arc. But today we're going to be talking about a topic that is on every hiring manager's mind and frankly, every candidate's mind today. And that is this quote unquote, great resignation that is occurring out there today. And so none other than somebody who spent well over a decade in the recruiting and talent acquisition industry could we even consider bringing to a conversation like this. And so we're very, very appreciative and thankful of our community and our network for bringing our guest today, Greg Denman, who's the Vice President of Technical Staffing at Next Step Recruiting. And as I mentioned, spent over a decade in the staffing industry and Greg was brought to us by one of our leaders and through the power of the network and felt very passionate about our mission, but also, you know, really informing and educating both leaders as well as candidates as to this great resignation and what it means to all of us. So Greg, such a timely topic. We can't thank you enough for taking the personal time out and spending a little bit of time with our community. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Devin. I, uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation and uh, hopefully we can uh, help the the listeners here on kind of where we are, how we got here and and what we can do moving forward. Yeah, and this, you know, Greg, it's this is a topic that everybody's talking about. Um, candidly, I think a lot of the attention is just around clickbait and things like that. but there there is a real change that is occurring. And you know, you and I talked about this briefly. I don't think this is, these are things that just happened overnight yesterday and now we're feeling it. This has been something that I think has been building, you know, ever since some of the legacy ways of managing and operating a business that we saw in the 80s and 90s of massive layoffs and minimized benefits, you know, that entire philosophy on creating an awesome place to work, diversity, inclusion, benefits, treating the whole person like that dynamic has been changing for decades now, but there's certainly been some things very recent that we'll talk about that are culminating into this particular period of time we're calling the great resignation. And so, you know, Greg, you've been around, you've, you've seen a lot of the things that I was just alluding to. Maybe you could talk about, you know, some of the shorter term, more recent elements that are really taking some of those changes 
and bringing it to a bit of a boiling point. Uh, and then we can dive into what this actual great resignation really is and what it means. And of course, leave some folks off with some tangible takeaways and, and things to think about. But Greg, yeah, I think everybody would love to hear from you about what are some of those elements that are really contributing to this, this area of time that we're calling the great resignation. Yeah, and I, I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly. Um, as you mentioned there at the beginning, uh, this did not occur overnight, right? Uh, there was a lot that boiled up to a point. And then sometimes what we've noticed in life and in and, and a personal level and a, and a professional level, whatever it may be, is you need a reason to be able to either give yourself the confidence or give yourself the the opportunity to be able to make a change. Um, you know, people first is, is, you know, obviously what the focus is. Throughout the history of people that have been in employment um, for, for many decades, you know, if you look back at our parents and so forth, um, you know, you kind of, you got a job, you're grateful you had a job, you did the job, you didn't complain about it and you went home, right? And that's, that's kind of the way that it was always set for us to be like, you know, there was, you know, I, I don't know about your parents, but they kind of said, did it, and, you know, do it, enjoy that you have it and, and keep your mouth shut, right? <laughs> That's kind of the way it was. And with that, I think a lot of people, you know, one part that I'll, I'll uh, allude to that I'll, I'll touch on, you know, as we continue the conversation is you were kind of geographically always restricted by what you were allowed to do in life. And what I mean by that is, you know, I grew up in the middle of Kansas, uh, in a town of 450 people. Uh, my closest airport was four hours away. I probably wasn't going to become a marine biologist there, right? I probably wasn't going to become a professional surfer. There are certain things that you're restricted by in regards to your ge geographical location. With that as well, is as we started seeing this great resignation um, build steam and, and you know, I kind of call it the perfect storm as we saw that uh, starting to create itself uh, due to a, a number of different, uh, you know, sectors or whatnot. Uh, that is when you were able to then kind of bust free outside of those restrictions geographically or, or you know, creatively or, or, you know, whatever it may be that allows, allowed this to be, you know, become what it is today. And I think what initially when people look at the great resignation, if you were to put, uh, you know, if you were to say step number one, you know, whatever, what would that be? I think, I think the easy thing to say would, that would be the pandemic, right? When the pandemic hit, um, all of our lives changed and it changed in a multitude of different ways. Now we'll um, obviously focus mostly on, on your employment uh, side here, but uh, we, we all know what went with that. A lot of people were forced to change what they have been doing day in and day out on a work perspective uh, and in very drastic measures. And so a lot of people were forced to work remotely. Uh, and uh, when they did that, I think a lot of new life priorities were created in that, in that time. So, uh, I mean, obviously you spent more time with your family, you spent less time traveling, less time in a car, less time in a plane, 
Um, you know, and, and you spent more time around a dinner table, table with your family, um, which then also uh, in an economical perspective, you know, saves you money from you not e eating out at lunch or going to dinner or, you know, or whatever it may be. There was this, there's these different life priorities uh, that, that started changing there um, due to the pandemic happening. With that as well, is it created a time for people to explore new interests. So um, a lot of people got back into hobbies. You know, they got back into things of interest that they never had time for, which now they have this new, newly created time because they're not spending two hours in a vehicle or, or whatever it may be, you know? Um, so they, they started looking into things that they got self-enjoyment out of. You know, we saw the memorabilia and sports card industry blow up. You know, we saw, a, the craft companies, you know, the Hobby Lobbies and the Michaels, you know, their stocks took off because people are are doing stuff at home now with their families. And obviously, you know, uh, education was at home too. So there was a lot of that that went with it. But people started thinking outside of the go to work, eat dinner, put your kids to bed, wash and repeat, you know. And so one, one statistic that I found uh, very intriguing in this great resignation is that in the month of July, um, you know, sometimes it takes a while for statistics to kind of catch up, but in the month of July, a third of people that resigned are pursuing self-employment. And to me, that was, that was mind blowing. Uh, I mean, I, I think everybody has always had the interest of, you know, being self-employed, you know, being your own boss, right? Uh, my, my father told me from day one, you'll, you'll never make money unless, you know, you're working for yourself. You know, you know, there's just a certain uh, life agreement that you have. And I found that very interesting. And so you're looking into, you know, I was uh, talking to individuals that have, uh, you know, ch changed their employment, changed their sector, changed everything that they were doing previously. And you'll hear the stories of, you know, I was, I couldn't open my laptop one more day and stare at, you know, data sheets. I couldn't sit in one more meeting that was a meeting talking about the next meeting. You know, it, it, they were just burnt out. They were burnt out on everything that had been instilled in us, like I said previously, on a working perspective before this pandemic even happened. I, I, I think that, like I said, the built up was there I think the pandemic was kind of gave people a, an opportunity to open the door and explore, you know, those, that new creative side, explore the entrepreneurial side that they've always wanted to do. It gave them a reason and then it gave them more time. And then for some, it actually gave them more of an economic uh, standpoint to be able to do so as well, because, you know, when you're cooking at home or, or, you know, you're, you can save expenses in a certain part if if your employment was still there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I also I also believe that there's I don't know the statistics, but I also believe that a large cohort of of what you're talking about who have found themselves moving towards entrepreneurship, I think a lot of them were forced to do so. They had right. to find a way to make money and then now it's suddenly, well, holy cow, like my priorities and what I look for in a job has totally shifted. I realized I can get by with a little little less money, but a much better quality of life. Now I'm my own boss. And, 
you know, now, now the world is my oyster. You know, I can go back and have a side hustle. I can just completely devote myself to this and control my own destiny. And it's, I mean, I, I think as employers, it's a little terrifying, like, oh, there's more for us to compete with. But I love it because I think we get more of the true, genuine person when they do decide that this is a place I want to be. I've now revalidated, reswizzled my priorities, and, and I, I know my genuine self better and believe this company aligns with my values and I'm taking a much more informed bet and informed decision on coming here versus just, hey, it's a company that pays the salary I'm looking for and has 401k matching. You know, I think the criterium have changed and in the right light, I think it's positive for everyone. I agree, I agree completely, yes. I think a lot of people were forced, had their hand forced. Um, You know, you see in all, all levels of employment, you know, um, you know, I think one that maybe, you know, a common person sees more often than not is uh, this past Sunday, I I went to have uh, lunch with my family and we had to go to four restaurants before we found one that was staffed, you know, so we went to the first one and said, carry out only, we don't have enough staff. We went to the second one, they were closed. We went to the third one and, you know, they said we can only seat four tables at a time because we don't have, <laughs> we don't have enough staff. And then, you know, it, it took us a while to get there. And, and you know, I think a, a lot of people are seeing uh, that industry hit very hard because when, when they shut down, they had nowhere to go. And so uh, to your point, you know, they created a way, you know, people flourish uh, when backed up against the wall and they created a way to be able to continue to provide for themselves and their family. And, you know, uh, self-employment was definitely one of those avenues that I think a lot of those people took and, and have been successful at it. And, and that's why we continue to see the struggles in, you know, the service industry, for example, because they have found a way to continue to provide without having to go back into a situation that, you know, is, is maybe not as, is punishable for them. Yeah. So outside of, you know, layoffs, forcing individuals to find some means of income. And in some cases that ended up being entrepreneurship side hustle that turns into a full-time hustle, you know, multiple day jobs, all, all sorts of amalgamations of that kind of scenario. But outside of that aspect, like how else is the the overall layoffs that especially that occurred in the in the roughest economic times of the pandemic? Like how else has that contributed to what we're now seeing and calling the Great Resignation, Greg? Yeah, I think that had a huge impact. I think uh, companies went as lean as they possibly could for you know for reason, right? They no one knew what to expect when this happened. This is a the pandemic was a uh, a circumstance that the world had never seen, you know, or not seen at least in today's age where we knew how to handle it, right? And so when when these companies started their layoffs uh, to be able to stay afloat, we saw a lot of companies that, that, you know, had to close the doors. So, you know, I think a lot of companies took the approach that they did to try to be able to keep the doors open. Um, but with that, you know, if you had a division that had, you know, we'll use an example, if you had a division that had 10 people and you cut it down to four, you know, and then what happens is you take the extra work that's there and then you dump it on 
the employees that are, you know, that are still employed, you know, and so um, they have additional stress. They're, you know, they're now they're working from home and maybe they're not used to it. They're isolated. They're depressed. They're overworked. You know, it's, it creates a much quicker burnout for these individuals that have kept their jobs, you know, and so the layoffs didn't affect just the people that lost their jobs. Now, granted in different ways, one economically compared to, you know, a, more of a mental or emotional state, but it affected both in different ways, you know, and so uh, it, it, with that, I think with the added workload, with the added stress, with the, um, you know, the added, added circumstances that came from uh, your team, you know, being cut in half, you know, for example, that those original life priorities that we discussed previously about, you know, wanting to spend more time with family, you know, wanting to, uh, you know, deciding that you enjoy being, you know, in those circumstances, that created even a, a different circumstance where these people or, you know, individuals want to be able to, again, kind of be who they want to be, find a better way of life. And so even the ones that left their jobs or kept their jobs during the layoffs, I feel like it impacted, impacted them to the point of forcing them in a way to be able to also leave that, that client, you know, or leave that company. It, it's, it's a weird circumstance. And I think, you know, some people, you know, one thing that we've seen in, in, from a, a staffing industry or employment standpoint is, you know, month over month, people will be looking for a position. And, you know, we always kind of say that the unemployment rate, you have to look at, you know, from a different view, because at some point, if people stop looking for a job, they just can't find what they want, they can't find what they need. And then they drop out of that, uh, you know, that part of the, the population that's looking, they're no longer in that statistic of unemployment, you know? Um, and I think that you see that the pandemic exacerbated that even more along with the, an increase in safety net programs that were put in forth to help people during the pandemic, you know, by the government or, or charities or whatever it may be. But it, it once again allowed them an, uh, maybe an opportunity, a, a silver lining, if you will, uh, of the people that did choose to go a different direction, self-employment, whatever, uh, whatever avenue they chose, it allowed them the opportunity to be able to take that leap in life that perhaps they they weren't uh, able to do do so before, or, or you know weren't uh, uh, confident enough in doing that uh, for a given reason of you know changing changing your income is is probably one of the scariest things you know especially when you're taking a leap from something that's stable to something that uh is not you know absolutely and then you yeah i know you and i had talked about this as we were kind of rolling through everything but then on top of that well those companies that did extensive layoffs they they start seeing the world opening up again and so now you have this this kind of rush but also you've got the remote talent, the changing priorities and all of that. And so this is all, you know, we talked about all these different culminating series of events um, that were already, there was, I think, there, I think it's fair to say that there was already kind of a smoldering flame that was growing, but this really forced a lot of people's hands to take a look in the mirror, to reevaluate, to make some pretty drastic life changes sometimes without a safety net, um, you know, 
now companies are looking at talent very differently in that it's a remote talent so we can kind of go everywhere so tell us more greg like help make this great resignation real for our listeners right we again we hear a lot about it but what is it what does it really mean i mean it's not just everyone is quitting the workforce and they're gone forever you know what what does this great resignation actually mean you know what are some of the trends the statistics that you all are talking about and seeing in the staffing industry uh coming off the back of everything we just talked about leading up to this moment again yeah you're right um and so like one of the statistics that was i guess the most eye-opening to most people is august broke a record for the most amount of people that have uh, resigned in one month and it was 4.3 million people in the month of august uh, to give you an idea um it usually is somewhere around two and a half to three so two and a half to three million people typically uh, resign every given month in the united states um, so drastically higher, right? I, it doesn't sound high from three to four, but you know, <laughs> it is. So, um, but with that, there was also 531,000 jobs were added in the month of October, you know, unemployment fell to 4.6%, you know? So, um, again, and we kind of discussed those numbers as well. So, so you're right. Not everyone's just quitting and, and, you know, hanging out, you know, so but one thing that I think that the numbers aren't showing is the, the industries that are being impacted the most are the industries where people, I feel, were, had a better chance of maybe being burnout or a better chance of, um, you know, it's maybe not the most glamorous job or maybe, and uh, due to the circumstances of the pandemic, uh, we're putting up with more than they had put up with previously. Uh, you know, I had mentioned the service industry. Um, I started the service industry when I got into the workforce, you know, when I was 16. Um, and I got out of it for a reason. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people did. It's, uh, it's hard work. Amen it's, to that. <laughs> it's hard work. It's, it's long hours. Uh, it's dealing with, um, you, you know, uh, uh, people, which, uh, you know, sometimes is great and sometimes it can be trying. You know, and so uh, you'll see that where those people left and they got jobs in different areas. You know, they got jobs in different, uh, you know, doing other things that are more, you know, rewarding to them. And that's why we see the struggles in the service industry right now, because we know that that's a hard job. We know that that's difficult. But when that closed and they had to find work, then they found it and found that, hey, I can still keep the lights on and, and I'm happier doing this, right? And so I, when you look at the great resignation, that term, what that means is essentially companies did layoffs then companies began to hire back because essentially they kind of took a year off. Uh, projects weren't getting done. Initiatives weren't getting done. And so uh, with that, you know, companies will continue to move forward when it makes economical sense for them. And so then they began to rehire. So I have a client of mine here locally in Dallas uh, that they were at 100 people. They cut down to 75 when, you know, the kind of the layoffs around the globe happened. And now they're hiring to 175, right? So they took a step backwards to take three steps forward. So because when they stepped back, we saw a lot of companies not 
they, they stepped back on not spending money, but they definitely went forward on their future ambitions and their strategies of what they want to do as an organization. And so when they began to rehire again, they needed more people than they initially had. They need more talented people than they initially had. And then, um, you know, and now they're in a, in a circumstance where their environment has most likely changed to a certain extent, right? So a, a lot of, uh, I'm in the IT industry. And so I see, I saw remote before, but we used to kind of have a joke on the staffing side that if somebody called you and said, I'm looking for a remote, we would say, yeah, aren't we all? And, and you would kind of move on because you want to be able to place that candidate. <laughs> now, Every single candidate says that, right? And so you have to see how the, how these companies are going to uh, evolve. You know, are you going to offer, you know, are you going to demand that everyone goes back on site? I had a client that demanded everyone go back on site. They gave them a two-week notice. Two weeks after that date, they had to pull back because they had 40% of their staff put in their resignation. So that shows you that people are, were saying no you know, um, we're not doing that anymore. So then do you create a hybrid environment? Do you create one where, you know, um, you go into the office for a couple of days a week or you're every other week or whatever it may be, or do you create a fully remote environment? Well, there's, there's advantages to all, you know, so depending on your industry, some industries can only operate on site, you know, some industries have flexibility to be, uh, you know, hybrid or fully remote. So it kind of depends on that level. But one thing that we kind of, you know, mentioned uh, previously is a lot of times what you're capable of doing is what is in a geographical location to you, you know, so 30 mile radius is, is the type of companies that you can work for, right? So if you're in New York, you know, you're in New York City, you have, a, a, you know, the sky's the limit there, but if you're in a small town in Kansas, it's not, right? So it's drastically different where you are from location to, to location. Well, it's the same with the company. You know, if you're in New York, there's all, you know, there's a multitude of different types of people, uh, education, uh, backgrounds, uh, your skill sets that come in that geographical location. But again, if you, if you take Google and you place it in the middle of, uh, you know, where I'm from, Kansas, and you want to hire the best software developers, but you need them within a 30 mile radius, that's not going to happen. And so when these companies push forward these new strategies, these new initiatives, if they, if they wanted the best talent, they were forced to go remote because that's what their competition was doing. And their competition, it, there's, a, there's a silver lining once again where you're able to hire better because you're not restricted by that location. So you can hire better skilled individuals However, there is different things that come with that. You're now competing with every other company in the United States that's open to going fully remote as well. So now your competition is not who's in that set geographical location. It's everybody else, you know, despite the industry, despite everything else. Now you're competing with them. And that's true for the candidates as well. You know, if, if you were the best developer in Des Moines, Iowa, but now are you the best developer in the United States? You know, so it, it creates competition in different ways for both the candidates as well as the clients. And I, that is what has created this wage war of, it's like the housing markets. The closest thing that I can um, relate it to is you have the best candidates, the best houses, 
going to the highest bidder with multiple offers in three days. And that's what we're seeing in, in this in the market now is the highly skilled candidates are putting their resume out in five days, they'll have five offers and they can cherry pick which one makes the most sense to them on the best, you know, uh, company, the best salary, the best flexibility, the work-life balance, whatever it may be. It's created this environment where these people or created this situation where people can, the high level candidates can cherry pick it's the junior to mid-level candidates that we're seeing have the biggest impact because now they're competing with so many people that are have more years of experience or higher education or more skilled that it's pushing them down um, and and it's kind of you know letting the top explode and and the middle level or the junior level uh, is continually kind of being pushed down because they're they're having to compete continually with the with candidates that are just at a different skill set level than they are. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're talking a lot about, you know, the impact to companies, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if we're in an ELT and we're with all of our talent and we're thinking about, you know, hey, this is kind of our playbook to attract and acquire talent, you know, how things are changing, you know, Greg has talked about you know, money and there being a bit of a wage war with the best talent being available to anybody who's willing to do remote work, more emphasis on benefits and work-life balance now that people have had a chance to or were forced to step away and reevaluate. Um, but one interesting element, and I, I personally feel this as a, a leader and an operator of a business, is the cultural aspect, Greg. And, you know, we're we're all remote now in, in many of these, you know, highly touted uh, industries where, you know, companies are now sellers, not buyers. But what would you say to like where culture fits into this equation as you're talking with candidates and they're prioritizing what they're looking for? Like how as a company, like, what do I do about that? I've got this amazing culture, but it was built on being in person. It was built on having a couple of massive, elaborate, really nice offices with great benefits and opportunities to get together and spend time with one another and collaborate and all of this. You know, there's there's elements of that that if we're really intentional, we can certainly deliver some of that in a remote and a virtual world. But, you know, what what should companies be thinking about when it comes to culture and, and do candidates even care anymore? Like where is this in the criterion matrix for candidates nowadays and how do you see the best companies responding to it? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. And it, we used to have clients that, you know, our selling point was that there was a ping pong table, <laughs> you know, you know, it, I guess that defines what type of work, you know, uh, life balance you had or, or what type the, uh, environment you had there but uh, but yeah to your point um it's still important i think that the companies that had those selling points previously are honestly ones that are probably being more impacted uh, if they had the great culture that was the selling point and people knew them in town because they wanted to work there because it was a progressive environment you know it was it was a open floor concept uh, open door um you know they did happy hours stuff along those lines that is not as much of a selling point if you are fully remote 
or even if you're highly hybrid, you know, we have a lot of clients where you go in one day a week, but um, you know, you're, that's not as big of a, a selling point to you now uh, as it used to be. Now, um, it, it's still a selling point, but it's how can you change? So the reason you did that or the reason a client made that environment look like a Starbucks or, or uh, have a, you know, fridges with beer in them for Fridays or whatever it may be. The reason they did that is to attract talent and to create a certain culture, right? And so now you have to reinvent that wheel. How do you take that philosophy, that methodology that you're going to use internally and incorporate it into hybrid or remote environments? And I think that's going to be the difference that we see between the companies that, that go up a tier and the companies that stay or fall back. We have, uh, you know, we talk to candidates all day long, you know, people that are looking for opportunities or at least open to uh, communicating with us, which now due to the great resignation, um, we have, you know, it's, it was always kind of said that 80% of people are opening to listening. But now, uh, you know, statistically, it's showing that more people are at least intrigued and in, in more actively, you know, reaching out and trying to find out what else is out there just because they see all of their, you know, counterparts leave and or their coworkers, you know, find better opportunities and they can't believe what they're getting and their flexibility and what they're getting paid. But, uh, you know, so, but, so you have to be able to create a culture uh, remotely that is going to be a representation of what you were trying to do on site. And one thing that we hear a lot from candidates is that if they weren't set up for remote before and they've struggled to find how they're going to successfully do that, do that even since the pandemic, we have a lot of people tell us that the collaboration is gone, that they feel like they're on an island by themselves. And and I asked a guy today, actually, I said, well, you know, dive into that with me more. Um, do you want to, because he was fully remote, I said, now, do you want to go into a hybrid environment so you can get that collaboration back with people on site? And he said, no, I don't feel like I have to have that. I don't feel like I have to be sitting across the desk from somebody to be able to have an open conversation with somebody on a project, be able to bounce ideas off of them. Um, you know, I don't need to do that looking at their face. I can do that over teams or I can jump on a call or I can, you know, but if you don't create an environment where your team's continually communicating with one another, um, I think that you're creating, that's, you're creating a new stereotype about your organization uh, that, that perhaps was, was something that you never had to fight before because you were the cool people in town that had the ping pong table. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, I have a quote from one of my mentors that talks about, you know, uh, beer taps and ping pong tables are not culture. You know, uh, culture is helping people learn, earn and grow. Uh, it's a pretty well-known kind of saying and philosophy within, you know, what I've kind of come up in, in, in the corporate world. And I, I had to chuckle, fortunately I was on mute, but I was chuckling when you made that comment. Um, and yeah, those are certainly the companies that I think are, to your point, being the most impacted by what's going on because those selling points are no longer nearly as important to the vast majority of people or they're not even a selling point at all. And so, Greg, as we wrap up the discussion, let's shift to 
the individual, the candidate, right? We've, we've talked about the culminating different factors and events, um, people reevaluating, reprioritizing, finding the monetary opportunity and side hustles, you know, all of these things, the shift to remote and how that's all coming together and how that's being dealt with and the challenges that companies are facing. But as an individual, I mean, does this just mean that no matter what, there's an opportunity for me to, to go chase some, a bit more money and I should, I should just think about jumping ship. Um, is this an area where I'm going to face more competition? Like what, what does this really mean for candidates and how should they be thinking about this and acting if they want to take this as an opportunity, but they want to do so responsibly? Like, what are just some of those, hey, hey, this is this is the impact that you're going to see if you decide to step into the job market. And, you know, here's some recommendations on on how to leverage this opportunity, but to do so responsibly. Yeah, and I, th I think it's on an individual perspective, obviously, I think. So what I would tell you uh, or what I would tell the listeners is the, gr the grass is greener effect is real. It always has been. Um, sometimes it is greener and sometimes it's not. So you really need to be able to uh, have a conversation with yourself on is the reason that I'm looking because I'm unhappy? And if I'm unhappy, why am I unhappy? There's so many times that we'll get to the uh, final step with somebody in the, in the employment process and it's all about money. It's all about money. It's not all about money. That is not where all of your happiness comes from. Just because you're making $5,000 more one place compared to another place. Once you look at that in the grand scheme, that it's not as impactful as maybe it sounds initially. So you need to be able to uh, self-reflect on, on why would I be looking in the first place? I think the uh, second step that you need to then have a conversation with you about or yourself about is, Am I in an opportunity where I can have an open and respectful conversation with my current employer on why I would potentially be looking to move and maybe what we could do to change that? Um, is if it comes down to money and you see uh, the you know the rest of the world's gone up twenty or thirty percent and you're you're sticking level and you haven't gotten a raise in two years then maybe that is the most important thing. If it's flexibility that they're making you go back into the office and you want, you know, that extra time with your family and, and uh, work a day or two remote, then, you know, maybe that's the conversation that you have. I will tell you monetarily, the biggest raises that you will get is when you change careers, is when you change companies. So that is historically always what your biggest increase is. It's usually around 10 or 15%. Um, so if you're at 100,000 now, you'll make 110 or 115,000 in the next spot. Now that is impactful. I think that in the current state of the market, it's actually higher than that. Um, I think most people are getting probably closer to 20 or 25%. And if you think about it in that perspective on a $100,000 example, if you're making 20 or $25,000 more and that's your mortgage, you know, financial stress is the worst stress. So I would... I would encourage the listeners to, to be able to really have an open conversations with themselves on what is the reason that I would make a move if I did make a move. Now, if, if it comes down to, 
you know, you make the decision that, uh, okay, it's time for me to move on and, and I'm going to see what else is out there. I would highly advise that you stick to that. If you get to the 10th degree with another company and they offer you an opportunity and you take that back and then you, you resign at your current employer and then they match it or they exceed it and you accept a counter offer statistically in six months, 85% of you will not be with your current employer. You can Google that. You can look it up. It's just the way it is and the way it's always been. The second part that you'll need to look at, though, is that companies will throw a counteroffer at you to try to get you to stay. And it sounds too good to be true because it is. And so we've literally had companies say, hey, uh, individual, you're at $100,000. I'll give you $150,000 if you stay. They're like, great. And then they stay and then they're replaced within 30 days with somebody that's at 100,000. You actually don't get that 50,000. <laughs> you get it for one or two paychecks, right? So you get, you know, you're gonna, if you're gonna leave, make the decision and leave. And then just do your homework, find out what it is that's gonna make you happy in that next step of your career and that happy in the next step of your life. Do you want the flexibility of you know, the hours of, of the remote work? Do you want the flexibility of a work-life balance? Uh, do you want to work on newer technology or, or you know, uh, uh, be with a growing company or have great benefits, right? Decide what those most important things are to you and don't waver from them. And then simply, if you're ready to, uh, to find out what else is out there, it's pretty easy to do. If you're on LinkedIn, open yourself up to new opportunities and you will get bombarded <laughs> by the staffing industry. Put your resume out on one of the job boards, you know, put it on Indeed or Dice. Um, people will find you and they'll let you know what they have available. Um, you know, it doesn't take long to see what you're, what you're capable of earning and the opportunities that are out there in just five to 10 days. Like I said, the, there's more jobs than there are qualified candidates right now. It's due to the great resignation. It's due to people changing career paths. It's due to work visas, um, you know, no longer being extended or, or people going back to uh, their native countries due to the pandemic. There's more jobs than there are people right now. And so you will have more than enough opportunities, but uh, that will give you a sense on did I make the right decision before I truly make it? Greg, you, you said a couple of things there in particular that, you know, I, I try as a mentor, as a hiring manager, as an operator, like I try and convey this to people. And obviously, especially when they're in my organization, you know, can, how much of this is genuine versus how much is, you know, Devin trying to make sure that I stick around. I, I get that. That's completely fair. But I'm so glad you mentioned a couple of things because I mention them all the time. And the first thing that you said is, why am I unhappy? And this is where I promised it would all come back around to EQ. And, you know, from a company standpoint, being people first is a way to differentiate in this world and in this, you know, this arena that we have today. But as an individual, you need to reflect because like, like Greg said, the grass is always greener. Sometimes that's true. More times than not, it's not true. And it, it had more to do with you didn't take the time to really understand what happiness means to you and how a place of work can help you deliver on that. 
And so before you just go and chase, whether it's a 10% or a 25% bump, like really take a step back, no matter how life-changing that amount of money might be, what is the impact? And is it actually moving the needle around my why and what drives me and what makes me happy and what makes me fulfilled? Because I promise you, as somebody who has chased a paycheck and made some bad decisions in that area, it's not going to make up for not actually satisfying the why. I promise you. And in fact, it'll end up hurting you more than anything. So I'm so glad you led with that. But then a couple other things you said that I think are so important, and especially early and mid in career job seekers really need to hear Greg on is the counter offer never ends well. It never ends well. And so instead of going to the place where you're surprising an employer, they're meeting you with the counter offer, you're getting drawn into a short-term monetary gain. And there's, you know, as Greg said, go look it up, statistically proven, it's not going to end well. And it's not going to, it's not going to take long for that end to come. Instead, do the self-work. Why am I not happy? And then ask yourself, can I go have a safe, respectful, and open conversation with my leaders about this to see if there is potential for change. If you feel unequivocally that the answer to that question is no, I cannot have that in a safe conversation with any leader, that may be the writing on the wall. Um, And then the last piece is do your homework. There are more jobs than there are qualified individuals. So don't be one of those qualified individuals that goes and chases a paycheck and misses out on a really special, fulfilling opportunity because you didn't do your homework. And then you wind up in the same spot six, nine, 12 months down the road. Greg, this this episode, I feel one of our most timely episodes and so much real world. And I think leaders, business owners, individuals, all likely found a lot of value out of today. I know I certainly did both affirmation as well as additional things to think about and to take away. So Greg, I just can't thank you enough for spending the time with us, man. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I I have enjoyed it and uh, hopefully uh, the listeners, you know, took a little bit out of it. And and, uh, just one more last thing to your point, I would tell you is when you are self-reflecting and you're deciding if that, uh, that move makes sense for you. Also, you know, understand that this is, the circle will continue to turn, right? It will go from a candidate market to a client market, from a client market to a candidate market. If you are at two years in and you're at a $85,000 skill set, can you get 150 tomorrow? Maybe, but when the wheel turns, is your skill set there? Then no. And then if if you're if you know you're let go from your company because you're overpaid, and then you've created this life for yourself at 150, but now you have to go back to you know 85 because that's really truly where your skill set is. You know, just make sure that you realize that you can get it while it's hot, but you also have to be very honest with yourself on is it the right long-term, you know, fulfilling thing that I should do as well. So I'll kind of leave you with that note, but uh, just a a word of caution, if you will. Yeah, I think it's great to call out that, you know, there is a potential where if you're, you know, demanding above, you know, frankly, what your skill set deserves in a 
a less candidate friendly environment, you know, that could come back to bite you. Um, and then even more reason to focus on the true why, what drives you, what makes you happy and finding alignment with whatever it is you decide to go do to earn a living. So again, Greg, thank you so, so much for being a part of the, the podcast and, and joining the community. It very, like I mentioned, chock full of takeaways, things to think about. Um, for our listeners, please, if you haven't, be sure to check us out, peoplefirstprofessionals.org, get access to the podcast, all sorts of video, written content, newsletter, our online community, the Betterment Book Club, where we visit monthly and really dive into EQ, professional, personal development books and topics in a trusted space. That thing is just blown up and it's been so much fun. We hope to see you at the next one upcoming. But until then, make it a great day and we appreciate you. We'll talk soon.